Welcome to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast, brought to you by DSW Ministries. Your host is singer, songwriter, speaker, and domestic violence advocate, Diana Winkler. She is passionate about helping survivors in the church heal from domestic violence and abuse and trauma. This podcast is not a substitute for professional counseling or qualified medical help. Now, here is Diana. Hello, everyone. How are you doing today? I'm glad you joined me today on my podcast. We have a survivor story today. I think you will be really blessed by her story. Rosalie Janelle is on the show today, and I hope that you will listen closely to what she has to share with you. She's the host of the Good News Podcast. She's going to bring a raw and honest story of how she got into an abusive relationship and how she got out, how she found the Lord, and how she has started her healing journey. So without further ado, here's Rosalie. Welcome, Rosalie Janelle, to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. No problem. I'm happy to be here, Diana. Thank you for inviting me on. Now the tables are turned for, you're in the guest chair today. Yes, my first time too, so I'm not used to it. (laughs) I was just on her podcast, the Good News Podcast, Mm -hmm. and uh, that's what podcasters do. We go on each other's shows. (laughs) Yes, amen. (laughs) Absolutely. I'm happy to be here. So tell the audience a little bit about your fine self. Yes, absolutely. So as Diana mentioned, my name is Rosalie Janow. I go by Rose. Um, by, you know, by trade, I'm a manager of an operations center. And um, by night, I'm a podcast host of the Good News Podcast. And uh, full-time, I'm a believer for Jesus. I love um, spreading the gospel, talking to others about the gospel um, and what he has done in my life. So that's why I'm here. Awesome. So let's start from the beginning. What was your your family upbringing like? Were you raised in a Christian home? Oh, this question from the beginning. <laughs> um, I wasn't. I was raised in a Catholic home. Um, and I say that very loosely because my parents weren't practicing when I was growing up. They mostly like practice um, up until the point I was born. And then I got baptized as a baby into the Catholic church. Um, but I still went to Catholic school. So we were, we weren't practicing at home, but I went to Catholic school. So that kind of shaped, you know, gave me a little bit of foundation as I was growing up. Um, but weirdly enough, you know, I still, I didn't know God and not, not at the, not when I was younger. So what was um, your home like growing up? I mean, it was typical. I don't think that it was um, abnormal. I had, you know, I had both my parents. I have, I'm one of three. I have two siblings and I, I don't know. I don't, I wouldn't say it was atypical. It was a loving home. Um, I was involved in a lot of extracurricular activities growing up in school. I was um, involved in, you know, pretty much every group that you could think of. I was a good academic kid. Um, My siblings, they did um, have their children uh, a little on the younger side. So towards Mm -hmm. like my teenage years, I was growing up in the home alone um, because my siblings moved out. 
and started their families. Um, and at that point in time, when I was a teenager, I was a little bit of a, I was trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I was definitely trouble. I was, I was not making great decisions. I started dating it really young. Oh gosh. Um, probably younger than I should have. And, um, you know, I think that really started, you know, in my early college years, I really started to make some pretty bad decisions. So it started in my teenage years. <laughs> so when you went off to college, you said that you had a collapse of your faith. What was your relationship with God like then in your life? Yeah. Um, well, when I got to college, I wasn't really practicing any kind of religion or even praying to God. Um, my life was, you know, like I said, I started a, tra a path on my life where I was making bad decisions almost daily. Um, and now looking back, I think it was, you know, the lack of having a relationship with God. But I would say that in the beginning of my college career, I had no relationship with God. I actually was very confused um, because I had graduated from a Catholic um, high school and then I went to a Catholic university and I, I was seeking answers. Um, so I was mm -hmm. going to the Catholic mass um, almost weekly, but it was kind of like just going through the motions of my, that was the first year of my, um, of the first semester of college. And then I went to a girlfriend's church um, and it was a non-denominational Christian church, um, probably second semester of freshman year. And um, that kind of started to change my perspective on um, God and who he was and who Jesus is because um, it was so different than the Catholic Church. So mm -hmm. it sparked a, an interest, but I would say not enough for me to do anything about it. Not at the time. Mm. Yeah, mm -hmm. I can relate. I was I was raised Catholic. I know it means to go through the motions on the outside and nothing happening on the inside, really. So you mentioned you made some bad choices in life. Why do you think that happened? I mean, for me, at the time, there was definitely, I was definitely going through a lot of stuff on, you know, just on the inside because I didn't have any kind of foundation. Um, I didn't have any be belief in a higher power at that point in time. Um, so I kind of saw life for what it was. It felt worthless. It felt like, so I made some pretty bad choices based off that root feeling of just feeling like, you know, there was no purpose for life. Um, and I actually fell into a depression in, during college. Um, I was mixed up in bad relationships um, through college. And then ultimately I ended up dropping out of college because um I was just making horrible decisions. I was partying all night. And all of those things stemmed from the fact that I, I viewed life as purposeless and therefore I didn't give myself enough self-worth. So. Mm -hmm. so it sounds like you were prime target for an abusive relationship that you mm -hmm. got into. Would you be able to talk about that? Were, were there any red flags beforehand? Yeah, so um, let me let's backtrack a little bit. So after mm -hmm. college, I actually well during college, I was with uh, a man who was semi abusive. Like we we had really toxic um, arguments. Um, there was a once or twice where there was you know um, physical fights between him and I, and 
um, ultimately when I left college, I walked away from that, you know, um, mm -hmm. and I left college and I had to move back to Massachusetts. So I went to Seton Hall in New Jersey. And obviously after dropping out and not being able to afford living in New Jersey by myself, I was 20, um, I had to come back home to Massachusetts. And so when I did come, come back home to Massachusetts, I kind of just walked away from that relationship in college. And I, I thought that I didn't think anything of it. You know, I didn't see that it was an abusive relationship, my college relationship. I didn't think that it was anything outside of the normal. I thought I was like, oh, I'm 20 and I'm passionate. Um, fast forward, probably. Um, let's see. I don't know how old I was. Uh, well, let's go back. Let's go to 2016. Fast forward to 2016. I dropped out of college in 2014 and um, I met a guy. Um, he was actually a friend of a friend. So I met him through my friend and one of my closest girlfriends, honestly. And, and you know, she, he came highly recommended. She she thought she knew him. Um, so she was like, yeah, you should give him a try. You know, to try going out with him. You know, he seems like a good person. And so I did. Um, your, to your question, and this is like late 2016, we started dating and within the first three months, there were certainly red flags. I didn't see them then. Mm -hmm. um, or maybe I did and I chose not to, but there was certainly a lot of um, things that he didn't like about me that he, he was vocal about from the very start. You know, he... Um, did not accept me for who I was. I came, I come from a really small town um, in Massachusetts that's pretty ghetto. And he um, often used to refer to me, to me as like a statistic of that same um, city because a lot of people don't, you know, they don't make it out of that city with a college degree or anything like that. And I had dropped out. And so he used that, you know, that no. education target on my back, like, to really make me feel bad. And, and that was only in the first three months. So that was definitely red flags. Um, did I listen? No. No. Yeah, I was guilty of ignoring red flags in my abusive relationship too. Mm -hmm. The relationship progresses. So when did, you know, the real abuse start? Uh, what mm -hmm. kind of abuses did you endure? Yeah, I mean, like I said, from the beginning, I feel like even three months in, even though um, he wasn't physically um, or even at that point, maybe emotionally abusive, but he was definitely verbally abusive in the way he spoke to me. So I would say as early as those, you know, it took me a really long time to actually understand that that was abuse too. Um, so as early as three months in, he was degrading me with words. Mm. Um, and oftentimes, you know, I would cry myself to sleep because I didn't know, I believed what he was saying, you know, because I had um, such a low self-esteem, such a, self, a low self-worth. I believed everything that he said because I was like, well, it must be true if, you know, it's kind of, it's silly, but um, I'm sorry. I've kind of backtracked. <laughs> very common thought process that we deserve being treated this way. That's... That's very common. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but one thing led to another, and um, eventually the relationship became um, emotionally abusive. Like, he was very uh, manipulative. Um, he wanted to kind of just make every decision for me, um, and I didn't know he was doing it. He would do it. He was very persuasive. He was very charming, um, and I actually, when I started dating him, I started my 
walk with God. Um, mm. And I didn't know that he would be the one thing to deter it because I thought he was a Christian. I thought that he was in the church too. So we would go to church together. Oh, we had the whole deal together. Like it was just a, a front, you know? Um, and because I was like, all right, well, he's, you know, he's obviously I didn't marry him, but I, I also, the fact that I grew up in a Dominican household also played mm-hmm. a part to it. I'm sorry if I'm jumping all over the place. No, you're fine. But um, yeah, I, I, it played a role into the way I, I, I viewed men in my life because I thought that they always needed to be the, um, I'm Dominican. So it, you know, that culture is very, you know, the man is the head of the household, very machista, very, they got to be the strong leader. And um, so because I grew up in that setting, um or with those examples, I would say, not setting because my father was very different, um, but I saw that all around in the rest of my family. Um, I definitely felt like I needed to have that in my life and I needed to follow his lead, even though the lead was horrible. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, I was like, all right, he's leading me anyways. We're going to church together. We're strengthening our our faith together. This can't be that bad. That's what I used to tell myself. Um, And there was a couple times that, you know, he, our, our verbal arguments got physical where he would pin mm-hmm. me down. Um, at times he would push me. Um, it was a number of things, you know, I, I tell myself all the time, I'm not even sure that I remember every single incident because there were so many at this point. Um, and so ultimately towards the end of the relationship, he tried to kill me. And oh. um, that's, when I had to leave. Well, you know, I didn't have an option. Um, so it, it was a lot of physical, I'm sorry, a lot of verbal, um, and then ultimately physical abuse. So he was definitely faking it with the church stuff. And yeah, I mean, I, I, I didn't, I don't know, I would say definitely faking it. Um, uh, but also probably struggling on his own, you know. And you mentioned your your background, but I didn't even have that background of being Dominican or Spanish, but um, that seems to be a prevalent mindset in American culture that the man is in charge and you're supposed to do what you're told and Mm. put up with it. And and that's why we don't fight back is because of the society that we are raised in. And then some of us have an empathetic personality that results in wanting us to help people or maybe fix people was that true with you oh yeah absolutely especially by nature I'm just like I'm a helper by nature I want to um you know help improve anything I'm a manager that's what I do um so I with when it came to my ex um there was he definitely had some you know things internally going on that I thought I was the answer to that. I thought that I, that I could help him with. Um, there was definitely some anger stuff um, and some unresolved trauma. So I was like, well, I'm pretty good at this stuff because I didn't, at that point in my life, I hadn't really gone through much trauma, um, but I worked in the behavioral health field. So I'm like, I can help, you know, I also love him so I can help. Mm-hmm. Uh, so each time that we had an issue, um, I would focus on fixing either myself or trying to plead with him to see my side if I really thought I was um, true but oftentimes I was trying to fix him or I to be perfect for each other Mm. for lack of better words 
and you you mentioned the word love. You loved him. What was your definition of love then? Yes. Um, well, I definitely certainly did not know what love was then um, <laughs> because, and I will say like it has a direct co correlation with the fact that I didn't know Jesus yet um, because I don't truly believe you can experience love without knowing Jesus. My definition of love back then was very um, temporal. It was very, I don't even know what's the best word to explain it, but it was shallow. It was just based off of appearances and what, you know, what, what you can do for me and what I can do for you type of love. Um, so not at all anything like what the love of God offers us. And I, I can say that now. I definitely know that I didn't um, know Jesus then, so I didn't know how to love or be properly loved. You were how old again? Um, <laughs> I didn't think about that. Let's see. Early in the 20s, right? Yeah, yeah. I was 20, um, 24, 25, 24 when I started dating him and then 24. Oh, gosh. I don't know. <laughs> I'm yeah. 27 now. So that was two years ago. So I was about tw like 22 to 26 when I was dating him or 25. I think all the young people, including myself, when I was in my 20s, I was very gullible and innocent and trusting. And yeah, I didn't know what love was. And my mother made it very clear that, oh, well, you don't, you have no clue what love is. And no, mom, I, maybe I don't, but I'm going to find out. And, you know, you learn as you get older, you learn by experience. You learn when you meet Jesus, you learn how he loved us and how we are to love others. So mm -hmm. Don't be too hard on yourself, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> I hear you. Yeah, no, my mom said the same thing growing up. You don't know what love is, you know. Um, I think we often hear that and we don't actually understand what it is until we either lack uh, real love or, or we experience it for the first time. Yeah, because our parents, they see the people that we date and they're like, oh, no, not for my kid. You, you know, that's not a good choice for you. But we don't listen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it actually it's so funny you mentioned that. It actually was different with my ex um in that accord because my entire family actually loved him. My really? entire family actually did not be, well for two reasons. I was never vocal about the abuse. I never actually told everybody the real truth about what was going on behind closed doors. So that was the first thing. And like I said earlier, he was charming. He, were, he was persuasive. He got along with just about everybody. And when I tell you, like most of my family, I'm probably to this day, they still say the same thing. They said, we were shocked. We were surprised because they did not see it coming. Well, mm -hmm. I think my, my dad and my stepmother didn't really know the extent of the abuse. They saw s some things mm -hmm. and they didn't like him, but they would never interfere out of respect for me. My mother and my sister were a little more vocal about, you know, I don't like him. He, you know, he pushes you around. He bosses you around. He's, you know, he's arrogant and he's rude and, you know, all those things. But mm -hmm. no, I didn't, I didn't listen. So at this point in your your relationship you you suffered a lot up to this point mm -hmm. would you say that you were an angel at that time <laughs> no I definitely would not say that um and you know before it was really difficult for me to explain this portion of my story because I couldn't do it without guilt 
or shame because that's what the enemy tries to you know, kind of tries to keep us in shame and secrecy mm-hmm. <clears throat> but i mean in my relationship with my ex i have I, I became unfaithful um and little did i know then because i didn't understand then why i was seeking other men and i was see, you know seeking attention from other guys i mean it all ties to for me it all ties to the fact that i um I had a really low self-esteem and my self-worth was probably on the ground. Again, I didn't know God. I didn't really have a relationship with him. Like I was saying, I was going to church, but I was just going through the motions because it's what I knew to do. And I was going to a Christian church at this time, but um, it's just based on the foundation that I had from growing up in that Catholic church. And I was, I just knew to go through the motions. I didn't really understand that I needed to practice a relationship with God So even though I was going to church while I was in this relationship, I didn't know God enough to know the love that he had for me um, and therefore make better decisions. So I saw other men. I saw um, attention from particularly this one other guy, and I got really involved with him while I was with my ex. Um, And ultimately, that was something that made the abuse worse. Um, because my ex found out about it and he there was two occasions where um, on one occasion the first time that he found out about the other guy it was oh it was tough Um, he dragged me out of my bed I was sleeping and he just woke me up and dragged me out of the bed because um, he saw the text messages from the other guy and I remember in that morning, so me and my ex used to live with a roommate at that time. And I remember in that morning, um, my our roommate, our third roommate, um, she was at her boyfriend's house. So mm-hmm. I, but I completely forgot. Um, and when he dragged me out of bed and I saw how violent he was about to get with me, he had pinned me down to the ground. I started to yell. I started to, well, I tried to start to yell her name out. Mm-hmm. And then a, like a, a voice was like, no one's here in my oh. head. And I felt so abandoned, Diana. Oh. I felt so alone. I was like, oh my goodness, I'm alone. No one's going to know what happened to me if this man does something to me today. And so, I mean, the rest of that day was horrifying. Um, you know, he got... He was violent, but then also he was violent towards himself. He tried to um, he tried to hold me hostage by basically telling me that he was going to kill himself. He took a, a knife, and mm-hmm. and we were in the kitchen for over an hour, and I was trying to try and de-escalate the situation. I must have called his well, his family's not wasn't in Massachusetts at the time, so they were far. Um, so I I must have called his sister, his cousin, like everybody, trying to get them on the phone to just reason with him because he wouldn't reason with me at that point in time and he was also scared he was scared that he knew like he had he had um abused me before and that I was kind of at that breaking point you know he's like I th- I think you're gonna turn me in because it got so bad um <clears throat> and I you know at, at the end of the day his brother who lived at state over got there um he probably drove down like in an hour which is unheard of um Mm -hmm. and he de-escalated the situation he got you know he got him out of the house he moved everything out that day 
Um, you know, so I left to my sister's house so that he can get everything out. And I ultimately went to the police station. I got a restraining order that day, <clears throat> but that wasn't the end. You know, um, a, for me, I couldn't, I don't know, you know, my definition of love was messed up back then. So I thought that I was still in love with him. Um, so it wasn't even like four days or five days later that I, I went back to the courthouse and I dropped a restraining order so that I could be with him again because wow. I thought that, you know, it was a mistake and he was, and I, I was guilt. I was feeling so guilty because of my, um, my unfaithfulness. So I was like, I felt like I hurt him. I didn't even, I disregarded all the, everything that he did to me. And I just was like, well, I hurt him. I have to go back and, and help him and want to tend to his feelings. Cause you know, he felt betrayed and not loved by me at the time. So it just um, blows my mind. It just, mm -hmm. yeah, that you would go back to fix his problems. Which I think, you know, and I'm sure you agree with me, this just makes it worse. You going well, back after all of that mm -hmm. because you felt guilty, which was misplaced guilt. Okay, that's it's great that you acknowledged that you made a mistake, but um that doesn't that doesn't cancel out his abusive behavior. Absolutely. And I thought it did. That's it. I love the word that you, that you used, canceled. You know, for me, that's what I, th I thought it was like, all right, well, I did this. So he did that. And, um, and of course, like I said, going back to what I said earlier, I believed all the things that he told me about me. Mm -hmm. I believed that I, that that's what I deserved. Um, and so I didn't see it as, I didn't view it as an issue or a problem. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, when did you finally come to your senses and say, I've had enough, I'm at rock bottom, I've got to get out of this relationship, <clears throat> I mean, for good? Yeah, um, it didn't come by my own, you know, choice. Um, and, I, and I say that because a lot of people think that, you know, you always just get to walk out of a abusive relationship or, or you just choose to go and that's not the case. Um, I, I went back to him and ultimately we had a lot of issues up until the last time that I saw him. Um, and I was still being unfaithful. I was still seeking attention from other men and so again, at this point, he's not trusting of me. He's still looking through my phone. He's following me at this point um, to everywhere that I go. And um, on the last occasion, we went to a party um, and we went back to his house after the party and we were both drunk. And he went through my phone and he saw um, a text message from the other guy. And basically that's when he, that, that's the night that he tried to kill me. He... Um, it was the most violent he had been with me, throwing me around the room, really just using me as a punching bag. Mm -hmm. And um, up until the point where he um, tried to strangle me. And oh. um, I don't really know how I got out of the uh, out of his chokehold, but I did. And then ultimately, I ran outside after that. And the the neighbors were there and the neighbors they didn't even want to get involved um we lived in an apartment building in a three-story apartment apartment building and i didn't mm -hmm. knock on anybody's door because i was afraid i i just didn't know what to do um he mm -hmm. took my phone 
well, he threw my phone out the, out the window. Um, it was just a bad situation, you know, and I was just trying to run out of the building. And when I was trying to run out of the building, there was neighbors coming inside the building mm -hmm. and um, they saw both of us. They saw that his shirt was ripped. They saw me, you know, I had blood. I had, I was probably looking all crazy. Wow. Um, and they were like, well, we don't really want to get involved in this. This seems like a I don't know. I don't even know the words that they use, but um, instead of calling the police, they they asked him. They got they got involved. They they said, "Oh, can you just give her her phone back?" That's basically what they they, <laughs> they told him. And I'm like, "No, I need you guys to call 911 really? because he tried to kill me. He's not going to call 911." Um, and so ultimately, mm -hmm. after some push and pull, whatever, um, they gave me their phone. I called 911, um, and you know, the ambulance showed up, the police showed up and, and they detained him. And so back to the question that you asked, you asked, you know, when did I choose to leave or when did I have enough? After this incident, like, you know, the fact that the Lord delivered me from death because mm -hmm. I don't know how I got out of his chokehold. He was much stronger than me. Um, you know, he went, we went to, through the court, he went to jail. We did all of that. I didn't really have a choice. You know, the relationship had to be over at that point. Mm -hmm. um, and it didn't feel like that for me, even for months after that. It didn't feel like I, I wanted to leave. And that's the crazy part. You know, that's the part that I was so deep into his manipulation, into his tricks. I, even at that point, I felt like I still owed him something. It wasn't until um, maybe about six months later that, I gave when I truly gave my life to Christ that I knew that everything that I had felt about guilt and everything that he had done to me that it was all wrong it was so wrong and I that's when I knew but it, it didn't happen immediately you know even I was at the point of death and in the hospital waking up all of that it wasn't the point where I said I had enough um, <clears throat> I didn't have a choice at that point to be with him because of the situation but um i would say when i found jesus was when i really knew that i deserve so much more sounds like you had a lot of codependency going on there and mm -hmm. that is a real stronghold that's almost like brainwashing from a cult mm -hmm. somebody trying to kill you and you're in the hospital and you don't think that well i need to get out of this relationship and everybody would talk to me and everybody would ask me, like, what do you want to do? I had to, I had to sit through court proceedings where he was present. And, you know, I was going, I've always been a person who has like pretty strong morale. Like, even though I didn't, mm -hmm. like I said, like I grew up knowing right from wrong. Mm -hmm. And I knew at the time that the right thing to do was to continue going to court, cooperate so that he would be sentenced and everything, um, go through the trial so that he wouldn't do this to other women. Mm -hmm. I knew that was the right thing to do. I didn't want to do it, though. I didn't want to be a part of that. I didn't want to be a part of something that could particularly, like, follow him around for the rest of his life it was it was really sick in the beginning um but ultimately I did the right thing you know and I look back and I know that it was the correct thing um because you just have you just have to do it because you just never know if somebody like that is going to change um you can pray 
Uh, but you don't know and you don't want anyone else to fall into that trap. And just looking back at your story, it looks like the Lord intervened in your life. Maybe that was an angel that he sent to get you out of that chokehold. Maybe it was him that put your abuser in jail so you could get out. Mm -hmm. um, did you have anybody else that was on your side or anybody else who helped you? Absolutely. When my family um, became aware of what happened, because I called them that night and, you know, everybody showed up at the hospital. My mom was there, my aunt, my sister, they all came to the hospital. They just didn't know. They didn't. My sister had guessed a couple things because she had seen him follow me. She had noticed him in the last month or two before that. So she had known something was up, but she didn't know that it was this bad. And um, so she she was right there. They were all all of them were right there. But had they known, they I think they would have been there before, and they would have tried mm -hmm. to get me out before. Um, but like I said, because of my own doing and my own wishes of wanting to be there, I just stayed mm -hmm. without telling them. But my family was um, they were really supportive after um, and during the the court and the trials and everything. They were very supportive. Um, and there was one person in particular who was probably key in getting me to go back to the church. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, I consider him an older brother. And he, I grew up with around him and, and he, had a he has a church in Massachusetts. Well, he goes to a church in Massachusetts and, and he always invited me. And so um, that really was what helped me turn my life around at that point. So tell us how you, you know, found the Lord Jesus as your savior for real now. Yeah, yeah, for real. And I, I always tell people, I'm like, you know, I think I got saved in 2015, but, and I used to say that before, but now I know that like, you know, he really saved me in 2019, not only because of what he delivered me from, but because I knew I felt it. I felt his love. I felt everything. I felt redeemed. Um, so I would say like June of 2019, I, um, which was only about six months after the incident. And I was after after the incident. I was going to church still. I would like I said, I, there was not really a period of time that I wasn't going to church. I was always going to church, but it was always a through the motions kind of deal. And I never really prayed, and I never really I didn't even read the word. I the only word that I got was on Sundays. Um, and mm -hmm. then ultimately on in June of 2019, I I said something's got to change because. I knew mm -hmm. that everything that I had experienced up until that point and all of my feelings of like still wanting to be with my ex, even after everything were so, they were, they came from a place, an evil place, right? Because I just right. knew that the Lord wouldn't send me back to that type of relationship. So I, I started being intentional. I started just like saying, okay, God, I would sit with him in the morning and just say, God, I need you to show me why I'm here. And I kept on asking that question, why I'm here and why I'm here. And he didn't answer that question. He answered a, a, a different question that I didn't even know that I had in my heart. He answered like the questions about um, my feeling, my fe not feeling a band. Um, sorry. How do I say this? He answered my questions about me being loved by him. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know I had those questions 
um, because I was just like, well, I just, I'm a fixer by nature. So I just wanted to fix all the, you know, I was like, I need my, <laughs> I need my purpose and I need to get, walk into it. That's it. That's yep. what I wanted to do. And I was like, I need to learn how to do this. But um, by spending time with him daily and, and really just getting into his word and learning his character, I learned his love. I learned that he loved me beyond every single thing that I had done. Um, and I was able to walk out of the shame and fear and guilt that I had, wa I had walked in for so long because I, at, you know, at that point, I felt like I had made too many bad decisions, too many um, just things that I was ashamed of. Um, but when I was spending that time with him, he was like, I don't care about all that. He's like, I love you the way you are. I made you and I'm going to love you no matter what. Um, and slowly but surely, he started to reveal his character to me. He started to reveal my purpose on this earth. Um, and that's when I say that, you know, my I really got saved. <laughs> but there was no, like, aha moment. There was no none of that. It was just, like, I, I had to start being intentional about it. I had to, if I wanted to see a change, I knew that something different, I had to do something different. Yeah, the Lord's been pursuing you your whole life. He was just waiting for you to absolutely turn around and see him. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, absolutely. So I say that healing is always a journey. There is no, I've arrived or I'm healed 100%. It's, it's a journey throughout our life. How did you start the healing process and what steps did you take? Besides church, um, I mean, I really changed my decisions in my social life. I, I reduced the amount that I was drinking. I used to drink a lot of alcohol and that, mm -hmm. you know, I, re I remember there was times that I drank alcohol to the point of blackout. Um, so I reduced the amount of drinking I was doing. I reduced, um, I increased the amount of times that I was in church a week. You know, I was in church twice or three times a week, um, rather than just on Sundays. Um, and then I told my family, like, you know, I'm making a decision to make church a priority in my life. God, the priority, not the, not the church, God, a priority in my life. So ev everything that did not serve that purpose, I tried to just remove out of it. I was in a job that I was unhappy. So I, I left it. Um, I pursued a job that was quiet. It, it just allowed me to take a step back from management. It wasn't in the limelight. I didn't have a lot of pressure so I could spend a lot of time with God. Um, and then most important next to God, I took, I started therapy. I did therapy mm -hmm. um, and I did a trauma specific therapy. I did EMDR and I, you know, but that's the second thing next to Jesus that changed my life. So explain <clears throat> what is EMDR for those that don't know what that is. Yeah, I haven't had to explain this in a while, but I'll, I'll try <laughs> my best. Um, it's called, let me see if I can get this right. It's called eye movement uh, desensitizing reprocessing, I think it is. Yes. And it's, a, <laughs> yes, <laughs> I, I tried. Um, and it's a type of therapy that specifics on, um, um, specifies on like if you have had childhood trauma or any kind of trauma really and use um, physical movements like tapping or um, eye movements to walk you through the memories and reprocess those memories and desensitize the, the emotions that are attached to it. So I did that with the entire experience that I went through with my ex up until the point where he tried to kill me. Um, and, you know, a lot of stuff was brought up during that um, 
during that year that I did therapy, it was very intense. Mm-hmm. Um, it was hard, hard work. Uh, but hard I work. believed the Lord for bringing me to that therapist because it was a very God sent, you know, like it was a referral. Um, and I knew that if I saw it through that on the other side, I was going to come out the person that the Lord wanted me to come out. And that's exactly what happened. So I, I tell the listeners that are, there are many different tools for healing. Not everybody chooses the same tool. It's whatever's, you know, helpful for, for them and their situation. So you thought that that therapist and, and that technique was really helpful for you, it sounds like. Yeah, because something that I noticed, um, like I said, a lot of Yes, I was in an abusive relationship, but there was some decision making in my past choices that obviously weren't rooted out of that abusive relationship that mm-hmm. came out of a different place. And I had done talk that I, I mentioned I was depressed in 2014 and um, mm-hmm. when I left college, I had done talk therapy. I had done all of that and it didn't work, um, you know, CBT kind of stuff. And so I was like, I need something that's going to be specific you know, look at me just being a fixer and a planner. (laughs) I was like, I need something that's going to be specific and it's going to target this trauma that I just went through and help me come, come out a better person. And, and EMDR is truly, um, if you are that, if you're looking for results, that's what you will get. If you apply yourself. I like what you said about there were issues that you had that were not related to the abuse. A lot of people, they, they want to ignore those things. And blame mm-hmm. everything on the abuse. Well, we are complex creatures, aren't we? <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, yeah. it's not always black and white, cut and dry. There are, you know, aspects of our personalities, our upbringing that are separate from the abuse that also need to be uh, dealt with and healed. Yeah. Too. So I'm glad you mentioned that because that is important. <laughs> but, you know, you're admitting that. Yes, you found the Lord and you're on your journey of healing, but it wasn't all unicorns and rainbows. There were some struggles and that we are going to struggle. Yeah. But we just keep going forward, right? Absolutely. It was not a, you know, walk in the park after I made that decision. Um, And especially for me, who was somebody who was battling, I was battling, you know, just um, sexual temptation, lust, um, desiring to just be in the world, you know, drink alcohol, those things. Those were not easy decisions to make. Um, But I had the strength of the Lord because I was with him and he was with me. Amen. And so I did it. Yeah. <laughs> but it was not easy because there was, um, and especially I'm still young. I'm, I was what, mm-hmm. 25 when I started making that, um, those choices um, mm-hmm. to turn to the Lord. And it's just, it goes against everything that a natural 25 year old wants. <laughs> yes. And you're being honest here and, and I'm sure the listeners appreciate that you're, you're being real with us. Yeah, absolutely. Not pretending that, you know, everything is hunky dory and, you're perfect. No, um, absolutely not. So what is your relationship with God like right now? Um, I think it's awesome. You know, he's my best friend. <laughs> um, I talk to him daily. I go to church. I'm involved in my church. Um, I'm a spiritual coach. I have the Good News podcast. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't find anything more gratifying than using every aspect of my life to glorify God and to glorify his holy name. And and that's what I do every single day. I try at least. Amen. You're, Amen. you're definitely different 
the new rose looks different than the old rose. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yes. And I laugh because this is something that I am still experiencing with people that know me, that have known me for many years. Um, They're like, you're different now. Mm-hmm. And I get this so often now within my family, friends, they're like, oh, the old rose wouldn't do this or the old, you know, or the old rose was, you know, I get this a lot, was fun. <laughs> and I'm like, get your it. definition of fun and my definition of fun now is completely mm-hmm. different because I no longer want the things that the world has to offer. Yep. The things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. Mm-hmm. There's a I song. I away my childish things. Yes. Uh, we have a lot of listeners who are listening to your powerful story today, and they're in an abusive situation right now. What advice would you give them right now? Oh, this is hard. I think I, I have so many. Well, if we you still don't got 10 God, more minutes yeah. left. On <laughs> okay, so, so I got I got it. I got it. Well, if you don't know God, that's my first piece of advice is to get to know him. Um, I don't think that I could have gotten out of my situation without him I know that I know that you know like I said my hand was forced because I was at the hospital and he was in jail and it was no other choice but I think that was God God really delivered me from death and delivered me from that situation to get me to the place that I am now so if you don't know God it's so important that you have a relationship with him um, because he's going to guide you the best and secondly trust somebody trust any someone in your life and talk to them about it um i didn't and it made me feel so alone it made me feel abandoned Mm -hmm. um and i know now that i have an army of people who love me and will you know go to war for me and i didn't think that you know you think that oftentimes because of the choices that you make um and ultimately for me like you know i thought all of my decisions were what warranted that abuse so Mm -hmm. we we get to a place where we don't want to reach out for help because we're like well people are going to look at me and say like well you did that to yourself but that's not you know I learned that that wasn't true that that you know the people that are there for you that love you will help you out of it Mm -hmm. yeah I tell my listeners all the time I'm I'm available to help people I'll help I'll help you any way I can and I'm sure that you would say the same thing Absolutely. You would help anybody that reached out to you for help. Yes. Yes. I'm always, always happy to be a listening ear. Um, I literally, you know, like I said, I'm a spiritual coach. So my phone is on 24 (laughs) seven. I answer calls, texts, um, voice notes, whatever. (laughs) Awesome. Rose has her good news podcast. Yes. So you can hear her putting me in the hot seat for a change. And um, so you can listen to that on her show. How can the listeners connect with you? Absolutely. I am on, um, well, the good news podcast. Uh, you could go to www.thegoodnewspodcast.org. Um, you can find it on iTunes and Spotify, but I'm also on Facebook, Instagram. You know, have all that stuff in the show notes for everybody. Mm-hmm. Was there anything we left out that you wanted to tell the good folks listening? Um, no, other than just thank you for having me. This has been awesome. And I just hope my prayer is that this um, episode blesses somebody and gives them the strength and the courage to to do what I to do what I didn't get to do, <laughs> you know, leave. So Amen.
Mm -hmm. Amen. Yes, this has been great. I've enjoyed listening, listening to you tell your story again and how the Lord's brought you to where you're at now. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you too and all your listeners. Wow. Wasn't she great, folks? It's an amazing story. So you be sure to reach out to Rosalie and listen to her podcast. I hope this encouraged you. It sure encouraged me. So thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in today. We're going to see you next week. So remember, you're never a victim when you choose to take action. God bless you, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast. If this episode has been helpful to you, please hit the subscribe button and tell a friend. You can connect with us at dswministries.org, where you'll find our blog along with our Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel links. Hope to see you next week.